red shoes? What's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. No, it hasn't. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to another rewatch episode of And Just Like That. I want to say it's a very special episode, not just because Aiden returns, but I would like to announce I'm going to cop a new attitude <laughs> moving forward. Wait, what? An astute fuckette noted that all of us who are watching and just like that are somewhere on the stages of grief. I'm clearly in anger. Last episode, you were in depression. And I understand that grief isn't linear, but I would like to say that I want to fast forward to be in the acceptance stage. That's where we should be. And also, might I just say, I think this was a pretty good episode. Yeah, it's easier to accept this episode, I think, because Samantha Irby wrote it. Oh, really? Okay, so that's why it's major. Yeah, I think it was a good one. I mean, I'm not invested in Aiden the way that some Sex in the City fans are, but I think that there was a lot of good things about this episode. This, to me, is almost where And Just Like That should have started. Totally. So this episode opens with Carrie in her apartment. Aiden has emailed her back. I know I said that I, I'm going to accept And Just Like That <laughs> as it is. Oh, you're already hating. No, no, it's not that I'm hating. It's just that there was another time jump, Chelsea. When we left and she sent the email, it was December, and we learn in the next scene that it is not just February, it's Valentine's Day. So did Aiden take three months to respond? Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. He must have. And evidently, he only responds with, what's up? Which, given all of our gripes about the writing, this is actually the most Aiden thing he could have responded with. Absolutely. We then blessedly cut to a coffee shop scene with our main three girls. I know. When I saw it, I realized, like, oh, we haven't had a scene with just the three of them since Rock's They Mitzvah, since whatever that bathroom scene was. Seven episodes into, and just like that, season two, we got it. It. And it's just, it's the classic dynamics. We got Charlotte peppering Carrie with questions. He's going to be coming to town for a meeting. He's asked her to dinner Thursday, which is where it is revealed that it is Valentine's Day. And it's so fun to see all of the girls fall in line. Charlotte is like, she's done a line of Coke or something. She's like so amped up over this Aiden situation. And Miranda is more herself than we've seen her. Evidently, this is what we needed again to get this synergy back, which was Carrie single and dating. Will she only be dating Aiden for the rest of the season? Probably, but you know what? I've accepted it, Chelsea. Well, also Miranda is single. Before we get into that, Chell, I did want to ask you, thoughts on Miranda's sweater? I actually don't have thoughts on the sweater. Like, I feel completely neutral about the sweater. Also, excuse us, we are at Chelsea's house because she is injured, and if you hear the pitter-patter of an English bulldog, just know it's Francis Keto, not Richard Burden. <laughs> Also, don't freak out. I'm not seriously injured. I just broke two of my toes. I broke my <laughs> my baby toe. And what's the toe that's next to the baby toe? That doesn't even have a name. It's a nameless toe. I slipped in my house. I broke my toes. I have a limp. It's a bummer, but I will survive. Thank God these mics are portable. <laughs> it's a sweater that is not quite a turtleneck, more than a cowl. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I'm sure there is a term for this kind of neck, but I have no idea what it is. So Charlotte asked Miranda her Valentine's Day plans, asked her if there's any ladies on the horizon, 
Which Miranda then reveals she's not sure she's gay. No, she has no idea. But you know what? She figures it out pretty quickly. I was, at this point in the episode, I was like, okay, are we saying that she's pansexual, perhaps? Although she is able to pull out the name of uh, Brady's friend, Drew's mom, who was pretty hot. <laughs> who she's obviously, like, been furiously masturbating to for years, potentially. And then we get Naya zooming with her friends, which I'm like, yay, new side characters for side characters. Anyway, this is all to set up that Naya is basically season four Miranda. She has the perfect Valentine's Day evening plan, which is just making a chocolate souffle alone. Yeah, Naya doesn't get so much of a plot line this episode. It's more just like a statement about how being single isn't tragic. Well, yeah, she's rebranded it. It's not a sad solo evening. It's a meeving. It's a meevening. A meevening. There we go. <laughs> so then we go over to Anthony and Hotfellas, and a lot happens in this very short scene. The Hotfellas don't want to wear their skimpy uniforms in the winter. Drew Barrymore wants to have Anthony and a Hotfella on the show. All the hot fellas walk out because they're all on HGH. <laughs> also, Anthony has a bread-shaped phone. That's what I was going to say, but all I could focus on was Anthony's bread-shaped phone. The bread phone was an incredible detail. I can't remember if we've seen it before. Who's to say? As we know, I blocked out most of season one of Anne just like that. I feel like the problem isn't so much that all of these guys are on steroids. The problem is that this guy is literally shooting up in the same place where the bread is made. Yeah, Anthony has an issue with them being on steroids because he feels like it sends the wrong message to the hot fella's customer base. But I would say that it's more of an issue with the health code that your, your employees are shooting up in your bakery. I liked this plot for Anthony, generally speaking. This was quite fun. And just when we thought there was fun, we cut to the kids. And you know what I said, Chelsea? I said, great, more storylines with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if we are going to get a kid plot line, rock modeling isn't the worst one. You know what I mean? Like, that's a big upgrade from, like, Lily losing her virginity or Lily getting her period or Brady being clinically depressed or whatever. It was a bit of a shock to go from the hot fellas to then, like, a crane shot of Rock and all of their friends waiting for the bus billboard to turn and show Rock. The costuming of... LTW and Charlotte in this scene is very late stage Patricia Field. Like they could be on Emily in Paris. Like Emily from Emily in Paris would wear both of these outfits. It's kind of giving a Gossip Girl version of how do you do fellow kids. I don't know. I'm into it. It's fun, but it does feel like distinctly different from what is happening with Carrie and Miranda. So Charlotte tells LTW that Rock has interest from the top three modeling agencies plus one from Brooklyn, and that the Instagram that she made rock has 3,000 followers, which I love this detail. It took Charlotte an entire year to get half that many followers for Richard Burton. I obviously relate to this as someone that has made an Instagram for their bulldog and does maintain it, although not as diligently as Charlotte. I was going to ask, thoughts on Richard Burton's Valentine's Day posts? Adorable. I'm here for anything Richard Burton related. And I typically stand LTW, but her storyline, it was giving me the ick a little bit, which it begins in this scene where she sees her teenage son making out with his girlfriend and interrupts them. I keep saying, seriously, it's 3.30, which, okay, it's, what, it, school is out? 
Well, also, she is acting like she's grabbing his dick when she was just had her hands on his belt. Yes. I'm on their side of this thing for sure. It's giving mommy dearest. I'm not into it. Look, this is an episode where we see many of the girls not on their best behavior, shall I say. So then we have a brief scene with Miranda looking at various lesbian singles apps. And I noticed not a Lex app in sight. <laughs> yeah, she definitely needs to join Lex app. She's like seeking non-binary comic for <laughs> strap-ons and... <laughs> oh God, what I would give for a storyline where Miranda's finding anonymous sex on Reddit or something. <laughs> so then we have Carrie in plaid. How'd you feel about that, Chell? I don't even remember which plaid outfit this was. She had multiple ones. All the girls had multiple ones, I think, in this app. Yeah, Carrie is walking with Che after having a hamburger lunch. Che asks about Miranda and if... Miranda is ghosting them. And Carrie's like, no, no, that's just Miranda's M.O. And then begins to explain what Miranda's like in a breakup. And Che's like, I don't need a TED talk about Miranda. And it's like, oh, sorry, Che. That seemed like a question that warranted more than a one-word answer. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy for Miranda that Miranda is ghosting Che. Because there very easily could have been an alternate plot line where Miranda is, like, seriously depressed. But she's already over Che. She doesn't give a fuck. And it seems like we'll be spared from a Che and Miranda getting back together storyline because Che is only asking because they have a bunch of Miranda stuff and they need to get it out because they're going to Airbnb their place. Che is not in a good place financially, which frankly is refreshing because someone in this cast needs to be. We get a classic Carrie scream because she thinks she sees a rat, but... It's just a dog. Okay, nothing delighted me more than hearing Carrie shriek. When this show is good, it's often referencing season four of Sex in the City, and it just reminded me of Carrie when she comes back from suffering and sees the rat. Yeah, it's also Carrie when there's a mouse in her kitchen. Or she sees the squirrel. It was just great. The thing I love about the Samantha Irby episodes is that it's very obvious that she is a fan of the show that she's writing for. Yeah, and I think she does a good job of adding real-world characterizations to these characters, which in this scene we learn that Che has a hobby of rescuing dogs. I don't know if it's so much of a hobby as like, it's what they did for work at some point, no? Well, that's what we learn in the following scene. So new side character of the side character alert. Now we have a vet who takes care of Che's charity cases. Although I will say with this character, I felt like Che comes alive. And it makes me wonder that amongst this group of women in and Just Like That, their vibe just fundamentally doesn't work within it. And that's why we think Che is so annoying. Because here I'm like, oh, I kind of fuck with Che. Oh, totally. This woman is pretty cool. Like, this feels like a New Yorker. And I think those are the best kinds of side characters. Oh, absolutely. And we learned that Che worked part-time at this vet and their locker is still filled with their stuff. And it seems like, okay, this is what Che is going to do. And you know what? This is a storyline we don't get, right? We usually in media get the the part-time vet clinic helper who has big dreams of comedy. We very rarely see the reverse <laughs> where it's like a comedian who's like, this didn't really work out. I'm going to go get a normal nine to five. Love this for them. Naya and Miranda are in a bookstore that's decorated for Valentine's Day. Oh, don't forget about the one table that's dedicated to Black History Month as Naya notes. Yeah, I never thought about that, but of course that gets overshadowed by Valentine's Day. 
every single year. Yes, as she points out, all we get is two shelves at a table. And she goes, oh, look, there's the table now. Miranda is wearing the most plaid she's ever <laughs> worn because she is wearing two garments that are patchwork plaid. But I do think that this is the strongest plaid look we've seen her in thus far. Look, there's three to four more episodes. There could be more plaids. <laughs> I don't know who made this, but this is like the most Dries adjacent vibe that we've gotten. If, if we're not going to get Miranda in the row, then like, let it be this then. We will accept it. Out of all the people, she asked Naya, am I a lesbian? Which Naya replies, you know, do your research. Like, how many test subjects basically do you have? And Miranda's like, one. And she's like, well, I give you an F. So explore the topic, do the research, cite the examples. Then she stumbles into a back room where some random lesbian named Amelia is reading Pride and Prejudice, attended by people who are cosplaying like it's the 1800s. Amelia Carsey. Get it? It rhymes with Darcy. Right, right, right. We know that Miranda loves historical romance novels but why why do we know that where was this seated in sex in the city that's a great question we know she loves tabloids and jewels and mimi so i guess if you put those two hobbies together it does make sense that she would like historical romance i'm sure people will call in and inform us i liked this reference a lot Although I am horrified by these cosplaying people. No, but the author herself is dressed in all red and a red trench coat that had me questioning my own sexuality. Okay, for one thing, she's not the author. This is not the ghost of Jane Austen. Oh, that's right. This is, <laughs> this is someone, although that would be a fun plot line. You're right, because when she's initially introduced, I had assumed she was someone that wrote about Jane Austen, but you're correct when Miranda and her meet out Side, Miranda references that this is a woman who just is known for reading the the Jane Austen audiobooks. Yes. I believe it says Audible Star. I believe it says that on the chalkboard in the bookstore that is promoting this event. You're right. And as we'll learn later in this episode, being an Audible Star doesn't really pay as well as you would think it would. But I agree. This woman is hot. This outfit is hot. The outfit is major. Like, she looks good in the bookstore, but then when she comes out of the bookstore, it's, like, extremely cunt. And this is, like, the person that Miranda would date. This is what, like, lesbian couples in, like, Cobble Hill look like. What makes this episode so great, to your point about Samantha Irby, is... It feels like the best kind of Sex in the City fan fiction, because you have Miranda and Carrie talking on the phone, which... I just want to pause for one second. What is that piece of art on Carrie's wall? I know. Where did that come from? We've never seen this before. Mr. Big's art collection, I assume. It looks like a piece that was on loan at the Frick or something. <laughs> so Carrie makes a Dickens reference because she wants to say, so you have great sexpectations. Such good fan service because, of course, this was the title of an episode of Sex in the City, specifically the episode where the girls go to Raw Charlotte decides to become a Jew and Carrie and Berger have like really bad sexual chemistry. Yeah, but I think it's all just to have some some fun pun time with uh, I'm done with Dickens because Miranda's like, I'm, I'm a lesbian. That's it. That's all I needed to know. Also, I love when Miranda is talking to Amelia outside of the bookstore and she says, there's something so alluring about a beautiful woman not wearing a hat from the Regency period. Hard agree. Well, yeah, that obviously spoke to you because... <laughs> 
Austin cosplay evidently freaks you out. Well, I hate little hats in general. Like, unless it is, like, the cuntest little hat. The line between a cunty hat and a lame hat is so thin. I find that practically no one can pull them off. That is my opinion. But anyway. So we've got Harry asleep in the smallest bed in the world. (laughs) Charlotte wakes him up to say, you need to make a reservation for tonight for Valentine's Day, which I'm on Team Harry. This is the worst idea. Trying to go out on Valentine's Day, one, but two, trying to make a reservation for Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day. So this scene basically sets up the fact that Lily is having an F the boys party because that guy that she lost her virginity to has already dumped her. And also Charlotte and Harry are taking pity on their daughter by giving up their classic six apartment on Valentine's Day because evidently the seniors made fun of Lily for her music. Which, okay, who are these bitches? Because I maintain that that song is good. Yeah, but you would rib someone relentlessly. I mean, I feel like I would be Harry as a parent where it's like, yep, we saw that one coming. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, over at LTW's apartment, Herbert has secured a Valentine's Day reservation because he bribed someone. Is LTW's husband going to go down for violation of campaign finance laws? Yeah, I was about to say, this doesn't seem like a good look for someone that's running for public office, but whatever. Could have been just a joke. I will say this is a complete aside, but LTW's documentary timeline in premiere is very legit looking. Just want to say that. Yeah, I would have never noticed that in a million years, but I'm glad that spoke to you. So LTW's teenage son informs his parents that his girlfriend's parents made them a reservation at the Mandarin Oriental. Do Gen Z children just not lie to their parents anymore? Yeah, I was wondering about that too. Lying to your parents is the most fun you can have as a teenager. It's kind of the only sanctioned fun you can have. Well, it's also like... A sign of respect in a weird way. Like, mom, dad, don't think about the fact that I'm getting railed at the Mandarin Oriental. Just think I'm out seeing a movie with my friends. Unfortunately, this is where it becomes a rated R modern family episode. LTW's husband is like, why don't you just hang out here? To which LTW is like, that's so much worse. They're gonna fuck in our bed. Which LTW's husband has the correct reaction, which is... They're going to fuck in his bed. Why would they fuck in our bed? Which I have to agree. Because this girl has no boundaries. Look, I would let them go to the Mandarin Oriental before I'd let them fuck in my bed. Or worse, as we learn later in this episode. So Charlotte is at a card store. Not paper source, but something paper source adjacent. Yeah, it feels like they shot the Miranda scene on one side of the wall and then (laughs) Charlotte scene on the other side of the wall. I hope they did. Again, this is a scene where a lot of stuff happens and I'm in the acceptance phase, as you know, Chelsea, event just like that. So I'm not going to question it. But what happens is Charlotte is talking to Anthony and he has no hot fellas, which Charlotte's like, well, that's not true. And he's like, I have porn star hot, hot fellas. I need morning mom hot, hot fellas. And then Charlotte conveniently sees Giuseppe, this hot Italian guy. Chelsea, I think you mean she finds Romeo in a card store. Yeah, that's what I meant. This is kind of a legit New York thing. Like there definitely are people in New York that sell poems for a dollar in public spaces. Yes, but they're usually not this attractive. No. 
So she convinces Giuseppe to be the hot fella for a mere $300. I feel like that's a little insulting. If you're making a dollar a poem, and once he learns that it's not for sexual servitude, as he was previously propositioned, for a couple hours of work, it's not so bad. I think he should get at least 500 This scene feels like a real side adventure, because if you exorcise this scene out of the episode, you would lose nothing. But I was delighted by it. Always happy to see Drew Barrymore. And let's just say that Giuseppe has quite the eggplant. <laughs> we see Charlotte watching the Drew Barrymore show. Drew and Anthony are there. They bring out Giuseppe, who is carrying a gigantic bread basket. But you obviously see the outline of his dick. And Drew just keeps talking about his big basket. There's a whole double entendre going about his massive schlong. And this just propels Anthony's business. Giuseppe's like, great, you Venmoed me $300. Here's your uniform, and I'm out of here. And Anthony somehow convinces him to be his hot fella for one, one more week. I also just want to say there's something really funny about Mario Cantone's delivery of hot, hot, hot throughout this episode. What made this whole scene for me is Ross Matthews popping out at the end, <laughs> hoping to see Giuseppe in his little uniform. And the double entendre about, I no longer eat carbs, which if you know Ross Matthews as I do, just from like the Jay Leno show to Chelsea to now the Drew Barrymore show and his up and downs with his weight, it's a great pun. Yeah, but also it's kind of wild that like he's kind of like a predator. <laughs> Like, if someone actually talked to you like this, like, this is the definition of sexual harassment. That's true. Although I did enjoy the line, it looks good in wool pants, too. I liked the line, roses are red, violets are blue. If you don't say yes, I'm going to kill myself. That doesn't rhyme. We don't know the quality of Giuseppe's poems, but I don't know how vast his career will be if he said that that was a bad poem, just on the basis that it does not rhyme. So Carrie is going to get a massage with Seema. Because Carrie is nervous about this date. It's been 13 years since she saw Aiden, which, you know, we can always count on Samantha Irby with the correct continuity. It has been 13 years since Sex and the City 2. Could not appreciate the authenticity of these details more. Seema is upset because they are booked for a couple's massage because it is Valentine's Day and they are only doing couples massages. Okay, but what Seema does in this scene is so deeply fucked up. Like this is like beyond Karen behavior. I understand the content of her rebellion, which is this is not a real holiday. This is an assault on single people, but also like, what's the big deal? If you and I went for massages and then they were like, oh, it's a couple massage, you'd have to get a massage next to each other. You wanna shoot the shit with Carrie for an hour anyway. Yeah, it's like, what? Is it like a no homo situation? Like you can't just lie on a massage table topless in front of your friend? I don't know because getting a massage separately with your friend is the worst group activity. <laughs> it's true. It kind of is the equivalent of going to a movie on a first date. It's like, okay, so I meet you. We talk for like 10 minutes as we wait in line. Then we can't talk for two hours during this movie. We leave. Yeah, then we come out and we feel like we have to go to sleep. And yeah. then we just leave things there. Yeah, it's so true. But yes, I understand Seema's perspective. And this does feel like a continuation of sex in the city in the sense that there was many sort of plot lines that were about how the world is sort of made for couples and not made for the single gal. 
I will say the most insane thing about her Karen tirade is that she was going to pay with a gift card. There's nothing more abusive than threatening to leave a bad Yelp review. Like people that threaten restaurant employees with that are literal monsters. Like they walk into establishments as if they are like the senior restaurant critic for the New York Times or something because they've rated like 200 restaurants on Yelp. Anyone on Yelp that I see leaves a one-star review, I'm immediately clicking on their profile to see what's their vibe. Is this a legitimate criticism or are they doing this everywhere? The only time I leave Yelp reviews is when like I'm forced to, like someone that works in the restaurant is like, will you leave a Yelp review? Or I did leave a one-star review once for the Bushwick Post Office, which is the seventh circle of hell. I do like Carrie's line at the end of this where she's like, I'm already on edge. I really can't handle your February 14th spa insurrection. Yeah, I thought that was funny. So now we hop over to Brooklyn where Charlotte and Rock are at a cool modeling agency. But you know what, Chelsea? It's not cool to keep people waiting. Okay, again, another one of our girls has completely lost the plot. This is so fucked up of Charlotte. It's so bizarre. So yeah, she basically blows up Rock's spot is like, we have meetings at IMG and Elite. Like, we're leaving unless my child is seen right now. The person behind the desk is like, no, there are people in front of you. And so they just leave. And then we get Charlotte and Rock back at the house. Charlotte's all hyped up because Elite and IMG both want Rock. And I think she's trying to figure out how to, like, play the other agency off of each other. Yeah, she's strategizing. And then Rock is like, Mom, I just do not give a shit about this. Rock can see the the Kris Jenner momager personality forming in Charlotte, and they want to stop it before it ever grows. This feels very dance mom. So I was like, correct. Charlotte's clearly upset. Like Rodney Dangerfield, she can't get no respect. She goes into her (laughs) living room where Lily comes out and is like, what the fuck are you doing here? (laughs) You were supposed to leave. And then Charlotte takes a bite out of a brownie that one of Lily's friends brought. And as soon as she bit into that brownie, Chelsea, I was like, they're not going to do what I think they're going to do. We knew what they were going to do, but I'm still glad that they did it. The outcome gave us the thing we wanted, so might as well. But... Charlotte is having kind of a me meltdown and berating Harry and uses the F word. She goes, I got them a blue check mark on fucking Instagram. Okay, your meltdowns are not this vapid, though. Oh, thanks. I lose my mind for a reason. So then, of course, the weed brownies kick in. Charlotte can feel her blood. Are you on acid? I'm sure Charlotte has been high before, but I can totally understand. Like, an edible is like a different feeling. And they set up that Charlotte hadn't eaten all day. So you presume that she ate that entire brownie. Harry believes his wife is having a stroke. He yells at the hostess to call an ambulance, to which the hostess is like, you think that's the first time I haven't heard that so that you could be seated? And he's like, call a fucking ambulance. I love the drama. Oh my God. Harry and Charlotte declaring their love for each other, that that did something to me. Also, when Charlotte was like, if I die, please let Carrie pick out my outfit for the funeral. It's like, correct. And it takes a fan of the show that probably didn't write on the original series to write a scene like this because it is at once heartfelt because you have Harry saying, this is the love of my life. And then ending it on the joke of like, please, if I die, like Carrie pick what I'm buried in is just, it's perfect. 
It gave us everything. Charlotte's at the hospital. The doctor comes in, is like, you have a high amount of THC in your system. Thankfully, we don't dwell in this too long. She quickly realizes I ate a pop brownie. And Charlotte explains that her life flashed right before her eyes. And she didn't like what she saw. I'm a momager for Rock, a maid for Lily, and a pimp for Anthony. Okay, girl, but whatever. But true, it's like this is drab. She is realizing what you and I have been saying for the entirety of and just like that. Yeah, this is all fine as long as we we get what we wanted, which is work plot line unlocked. She's going to call Victor Garber. Who knows? It might be three more months until the next episode, but we got it, baby. I'm so thrilled that one of the main girls has a normal-ass job. Yeah, one where you get up in the morning, you go to an office at 5 to 6 p.m., you leave and you go back home, and you do that Monday through Friday. Also, you do that for Victor Garber. What a delight. All right, so we cut to LTW booby-trapping her bedroom to catch her son if he fucks in her bedroom. I felt that. It's a little crazy. And as someone who's a little crazy herself, this is a lot even for me. Yeah, but her Valentine's Day outfit was so major. Speaking of booby trapping, (laughs) that corset was trapping her boobs. She returns home to find that her son has not fucked in her bed, but she finds her, her son and his girlfriend Baxter. We forgot to say her name is Baxter. In an even more shocking place, her closet. Yeah, she wanted to take a pic with LTW's yellow Valentino bag. And LTW's husband can't even come to defend him. He's like, look, if you fucked in our bed, I could say something. But your mother's closet slash editing studio, (laughs) you're on your own. Yeah, I thought that was a really funny beat. So Miranda has put on a sexy purple dress and she is going out to fuck this woman. Naya is making her souffle and she exclaims, oh, I see you've declared your major in hot mama. What I like about Miranda in the purple dress is it's giving Miranda as like sexy flight attendant. Like that sexy flight attendant persona has returned. Oh yeah, totally. Because she's like, we're not meeting at a restaurant. We're going straight to her place. Well, also just seeing this woman on a date is such a breath of fresh, you know? Oh, absolutely. She has a girlfriend of the week. Like, it's incredible. What did we do to deserve this? (laughs) Suffer through a season and a half of it just like that. (laughs) So then we get Naya alone enjoying her souffle. Who knows what Seema was doing on Valentine's Day in this episode? I think holding a a protest outside that spa. (laughs) So then we get Miranda at Amelia's apartment. Amelia opens the door. She is in sweats because she's been recording ads in her apartment. I guess she just like records all of her audiobooks from home or whatever. Yeah, I think she says it started in the pandemic, but that was the realest shit. Just the the mic set up on her kitchen sink and then the blanket to make a makeshift sound studio. This is a real ass New York apartment, might I just say. Yeah, can we get into it? Is Miranda weirded out that Amelia lives in a studio apartment or that she's messy or everything? Yeah, it's that she's a slob. She got rickrolled by that $5,000 outfit that she was wearing in the bookstore. This feels like classic sex in the city. Also, I think everyone has experienced some approximation of this situation. Yeah, I mean, if Miranda was going there to get laid, I think nothing should stop her. Well, until she sat on the bed and there were no sheets on there because Amelia's like, oh, right, I have to move the the sheets from the washer to the dryer. Oh, by the way, do you have any quarters? Okay, I could look past that. It's the cat litter. 
And it's the cat litter like coming out of her Birkenstocks that was like the truly horrifying detail. So Amelia leaves Miranda in her apartment, which is a real rookie move. It's giving vague clinical depression vibes. Like this woman is not good at self-care. No. And then we, we cut to Carrie at the restaurant. As soon as I saw how they shot these two buildings together, I was like, are we going to get an Il Cantonori situation going on? I want to ask you, does the host of the restaurant take Carrie to a table, even though she says, I'm here for Aiden Shaw, party of two, because the restaurant is empty and he's like, I'm just going to rickroll this person? Yeah, I also think he wasn't really paying attention to what she was saying. Right. He was just so happy someone was in his restaurant. So Aiden is late. Her phone dies. She is charging it and she's on the phone with Miranda. And Miranda's like, he wouldn't stand you up. He's a good guy. And then we get the line that we should have gotten three episodes in to season one, which is Carrie hypes up Miranda and is like, you don't have to stay. And she's like, oh my God, you're right. 35-year-old straight Miranda would stay, but 56-year-old lesbian Miranda would leave. And she has the line, I may be different, but dating isn't. It's still a shit show. It's perfect. It's such a satisfying end beat for this scene. But that's what we needed from the jump. Like, that is all we wanted from men just like that. Well, we just had the reasonable expectation that Miranda wouldn't be lobotomized. And this feels like she is coming into herself a bit more. And this shows an appropriate growth within the characters when she's like, me during Sex in the City would have stayed and suffered through this, but I am more enlightened now and I'm going to fucking leave this situation. So Aiden texts Carrie and is like, where are you? Little graphic design snafu. 60 is actually the building next door. So she wanders out onto the street and Lauren, I just want to say... I was not prepared for this jump scare. When he appears in a barber <laughs> jacket, like he's Steve fucking McQueen, I also gasped. I was like, who is that? Well, also because the jacket is like belted and buttoned up all the way, it's like he looks like a military officer of some kind. Right. You know what I mean? Like this looks like something that like a Marine would wear. We cut to them in a booth together. Aiden acknowledges that he was sorry to hear about the death of John, that he was thinking about her. And he read the book. It was sad and beautiful. <laughs> to which Carrie's like, it was sad. It wasn't really beautiful for me. <laughs> but Thanks, boo. But I love to know that Aiden, like Carrie, has been Google stalking her as well. And he was like, I couldn't figure out if you were single or not. And she, of course, is single. And so is he. They are on the same page. So they take a cab to Carrie's brownstone. He is... I can only explain gobsmacked that she still lives in the same place and is like, I'm not going up there. Which I think is really fucked up of him. Absolutely. It's like, what is less weird to fuck her in the apartment you lived with her in or going back to John James Preston's house? Like there's seemingly one to three month jumps between every episode, but her husband only died a year ago. It's reasonable to think that she'd still be living at the place they lived in together. I think when you've lived in an apartment in New York for a really long time, it becomes a part of your identity. So the idea that he wouldn't go into her apartment is like he is rejecting her. Although it does give us a fun bit of fan service, right? I can't go in there. Remember the wall I couldn't break down. Remember the floors. Wink, wink. <laughs> it's like, I do remember those things. 
No, but you're still this stressed out about it? Yeah, he, it seems like he is in the beginnings of an anxiety attack. Okay, you're still playing the victim. Like, why should you guys date again if you're still like this? Like, It's not even like, let me process this for a minute. It's a bit of a shock. Because that's fair of like, oh shit, you still live in the place that we lived together 25 years ago? No, it is fully crazy. I understand that. But to be like, not only can't I go in there again, I'm never going in there again is quite the boundary. So you intend to date this person? Like, how's that going to work? So Aiden walks away. And I got to give it up to Samantha Irby. Like, I'm willing for him to have this weird boundary only for this lovely fake out where he turns around and he's like, oh, fuck it. They have hotels. Well, yeah, it's like, aren't you staying in one right now? And then we get the end just like that. And just like that, Aiden and I were back on the same page. A good end just like that. Shall we say it's the best thus far? I think I repurpose my pain is the best thus far. It's definitely an improvement over some of those middle episodes for sure. And just like that, Eden and I became PayPal. So okay, that's, yes, that's the one I'm referring to. Yeah. You know, it took a season and a half, but I feel like we are in a good place. There are either 10 episodes or 11 episodes. There's definitely, we've heard 11 episodes. We're just not sure if the 11th episode is a documentary like last year, or we have four more Aiden-filled episodes in front of us. Yeah, if there's another documentary, I wouldn't be mad. Or you were not as much of a Beverly Hills 90210 fan as I was, but like that and Saved by the Bell would do these seasons where they weren't in school, they were at the beach. I would love if the 11th episode was just the girls in the Hamptons and it just is a non sequitur episode. Oh yeah, that would be so good. Give us Hamptons or give us death. That's what I have to say. But this episode really gave us so much. Charlotte's gonna have a job. Miranda is single and dating. Wow. Che is not going to do comedy anymore. Yeah, I'm fine with Che, like, devoting their life to uh, being a veterinarian's assistant. I feel good. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying that as a question, but I, I feel good about this. Yeah, I feel really good. Also, wait, the other Samantha Irby episode was the one where Carrie dated the app designer, right? Yeah, which also felt like an old school Sex and the City episode. Because it had a boyfriend of the week. Somehow Samantha Irby is like the one that realizes that like this is a necessary part of the show. And a welcome addition is giving Miranda girlfriends of the week. All right, guys, we will see you next week. We have to go. We have to ice Chelsea's foot. <laughs> yeah, I actually have to do that. But we will be back next week. All right, guys, we love you. We love this show. And if you want to know what we thought about the Barbie movie... You can listen to our latest Patreon episode. Please do. We'll be back next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.